you know, he said that one of the things that he'll do is say, well, well, tell me, tell me about this God that is so offensive to you or unbelievable to you or, you know, just revolt against. And oftentimes as people begin to describe that God at the, at, you know, when they're done, you go, well, I don't, I don't believe in that God either. Like that's, that's not the God that I ascribe to. That's, that's actually not what the, the Christian God is. It seems like whenever you see a passage like this being used, in that way, like abused to force or coerce submission. It's actually the result of men disobeying this very passage. It's actually the result of selective reading and men failing to take up the responsibility that is laid on them in this passage. There's a proximity among those who are in these weak and vulnerable positions to Jesus. And in some sense, what Peter's doing is holding them up and going, hey, if you need an example of Christ-like suffering or Christ entering into a position of vulnerability and weakness, here it is. And in some sense, he's saying, man, here's the, here's the example for all of us. Like, look at, look at the Christian slave. Like, look at the Christian wife. Watch her. She's going to be able to uniquely show you how to live like Jesus in these ways. You're listening to The Chopping Block, a weekly podcast from City Life Church, where we have short, informal conversations about the Bible and the meaning it has for our lives. If you didn't get the chance to catch last week's sermon, I'd recommend going back and giving it a listen so that you can pick up with us where the sermon left off. This last Sunday was July 16th, Um, very full service. Um, we had a lot to work through in the passage we talked through this week. Um, you know, part of the, part of the reason for even calling this the chopping block was like, there's always things, um, that you end up having to leave out that you wanted to get across. The Bible's so full and especially a passage like this, where there's just words, phrases, ideas that can be so easily misinterpreted, have been misinterpreted. Um, Andy, what are some things that that you ended up having to leave on the chopping block that you wanted to get across this week? This was one of those sermons that I really struggled with all week uh, because there was so much to say. I mean, I really felt like I had been in a wrestling match Mm. after I finished this one just because I, I... there was so much to say. There were so many caveats to give and nuances, and you don't want to... You don't want to mistreat a passage like this. You want to be faithful uh, to what what is being said. Man, it was just really hard. It was hard to get my mind around a pathway to approach uh, the text. And so, um, yeah, I got out of the pulpit on Sunday and felt exhausted. I took a nap for sure on Sunday afternoon. But I mean, there's there was just too much. There was too much to say in one sermon uh, in terms of. Uh, just what everything that I came across and studied. I mean, you know, this isn't the only passage in the New Testament, certainly not in Scripture, that deals with the relationship between wives and husbands. And I alluded to the Apostle Paul. I think I dealt with him briefly, specifically Ephesians chapter 5. But, you know, I couldn't get to other passages that, that deal with that relationship. I couldn't get to every passage that deals with the language of, of submission specifically within that context of, 
of husbands and wives of of marriage and and so yeah there was there was a lot that I had to leave out and there were a few times where I had to just make a statement and um and not really show how I got there um and and that's every week you have to make your decisions on what you're going to press in on and what you're really going to try to unpack and what you're just going to kind of cruise through or or make a blanket blanket statement on and mm-hmm. um so yeah, there was there was a lot of that. And one of the challenges I think specifically with this passage in First Peter is it's not just the language of wives submitting to their husbands, but then he, you know, he he deals with how women should dress, and um, and then he uh, uses the language of weaker vessel or weaker partner, as the CSB puts it. And so there's a lot there. It feels loaded, yeah. um, and because it's been that language has at times been really misunderstood and uh, misused. Um, abused even probably. Abused, yeah. yeah. It, it was, you wanted to speak to those things and, oh. and you're preaching. One of the challenges of preaching is you're preaching to a diverse audience. And so there are people in the room very familiar with this passage, um, familiar with the idea in a healthy way of, you know, the marriage relationship and, and headship and submission. They've they've received teaching, they've sat under teaching, read books, articles, um, listened to teachers talk through that in a way that's really helpful. And then there are people in the room who may have never read this passage before yeah. and are largely unacquainted with it. People who carry um, abuse into the room. They've been in relationships where a passage like this was perverted and abused mm-hmm. um, against them. And, and so part of the challenge of preaching is going, man, I've got all of these people in the room and I've got, well, I took Liberty and went a few minutes over 30 <laughs> this week, but I've got 30 minutes to try to do justice to the passage and to not chase every rabbit trail and not give every caveat, but I've got to, I've got to try to speak to these different groups in the room. Yeah. Um, so that's one of the hard things. Um, but yeah. I could, you know, you just can't say everything in a passage like this. So, yeah. Well, I know I came into Sunday nervous as well, like just uh, thinking this is one of those passages. You know, I've never really dived deep into um, First Peter before, and I've known it's there. I've heard it brought up in in debates or in um, conversations about. Um, the legitimacy of the Bible and conversations about whether or not the Bible's misogynistic and um, conversations about marriage. Um, but so, so the, this verse was always kind of there for me. Uh, and I felt a little weird about it, kind of tiptoed around it. Oh yeah, I know it's there. I, d- I don't really know what to do with that because so many of these phrases and, um, and I feel like on, on Sunday really did make a lot of those things clearer for me where, some of these phrases and words and cultural connotations of like jewelry and things like this, they like a word is like a bowl with a bunch of stuff in it and the stuff is always changing. And so, um, when, when you come to a word like submission or an idea, um, like a weaker vessel, like those things can just be so loaded and some of the stuff should be there. Some of it shouldn't. And I feel like I came away Sunday like with a much clearer understanding of um, 
of what's really going on in the verse and kind of clearing some of the weeds around um, around how I perceived that verse and cringed. You know, some of the, lots of the things I was cringing at, I kind of learned Sunday were m- my own misinterpretations of what the text is saying. Mm. I, it makes me think of something I heard Tim Keller say one time of like when you're engaging with someone and they are, you know, they're really pushing back on on Christianity or the Christian view of God. You know, he said that one of the things that he'll do is say, well, well, tell me, tell me about this God that is so offensive to you or unbelievable to you or just, you know, you just revolt against and. Oftentimes, as people begin to describe that God, you know, at the you know when they're done, you go, "Well, I don't, I don't believe in that God either." Like that's that's not the God that I ascribe to. That's that's actually not what the the Christian God is. Um, and I think you know, in a passage like this, I think a similar move can be made. Tell me what you th- tell me what you think the Bible teaches about the idea of submission mm-hmm. in within the context of a marriage or tell me what you think Peter's saying here, you know, and, and many times you would be able to say, well, I don't, man, that's gross. Like, I don't agree with that either, mm-hmm. but that's not, that's not what's going on here. And so that was part of the work Sunday. And that's, that's always the work. I think when we come to the Bible is there are many times we have to deconstruct, uh, cultural notions or perverted notions of what a passage is saying so that you can then begin to reconstruct biblically what's actually being said. And that was a lot of the work Sunday was to go, let's try to really understand what Peter is saying and what he isn't saying with some of these ideas and concepts. Yeah, I think, um, I think it was a really helpful sermon. Um, and I think that it's a challenging sermon for, for me, even as a husband, uh, to think through and, you know, 10 years into marriage and <laughs> still learning what some of this stuff looks like, right? Uh, I think maybe one of the things that's probably really important for some in the room, both men and women, but probably some of the women who are wives in the room especially, is what this text is not saying, you know, you, you kind of really leaned into that at times, but not not to make you give us your sermon again. I know this could go long, but but could you just give us a, a short overview of like what this text is not saying to women, to wives? Uh, let's, let's focus on wives specifically for a moment and then uh, kind of give us the heart of, of, of like, hey, what if you just boil it down, what, what's the heart of this message? Yep. Uh, well, that's that's a pretty broad question. Let me see. <laughs> see if I can narrow in a little bit. Yeah. You know. So maybe when it says you know submit to your own husbands, right? And it says, hey, don't let your beauty consist of outward things. Like what what what's not being said here? Yeah. Yeah. Well, some of that I dealt with in the sermon. You know, it's not saying women submit to men. You know, it's it's saying wives submit to your own husbands. And so outside of Jesus, there's really one man. Um, and we're all called to submit to Jesus, um, men and women. Outside of that, there's really only one man that that a wife is called to submit to, and that's her own husband. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, all, you know, 
many times, you know, the idea of submission gets taken to mean that uh, women in general are called to submit to men. That's just patently false. I mean, Peter puts really clear parameters on on the idea here um, of submission. It's it's to your own husband. And then I try to press further and go, um, and this is a voluntary submission. And so it's there is never there is never a case in the scriptures where a where a man is commanded to enforce submission upon his wife. Yeah, that's important. Know, or demand it, you know. And and if you know, I think about my own life in the relationship of of me and Jesus. I'm in the position of submission. I'm called to submit to Jesus. And I, when I think about how many times I'm wayward in my own life and the patience and the gentleness, the kindness of Jesus, he doesn't demand and enforce himself upon me. He's gentle and lowly. And and that's how husbands are called to live with their wives. And so Peter doesn't say, hey, men, you need to get your wives in order and you need to enforce submission. He says you need to live with your wife according to knowledge in yeah. an understanding way. Well, part of that according to knowledge is knowing yourself, right? Um, and living in light of a knowledge of yourself toward your wife with complete patience and gentleness, knowing her, knowing her struggles, knowing her weaknesses, knowing as much as you can about her, studying her, so that you are patient and kind toward her, um, showing them honor, he says, as not only a weaker partner, but as a co-heir of the grace of life. And so as your equal, yeah, you know. And so even though in some sense you're in a stronger position relationally as the shepherd, as the, as the one who's called to, to be the leader, you're supposed to live with them as an equal, Paul says, or Peter says, and then recognizing that they're in a more vulnerable position. So you should be even more gentle with them because of that. Um, and certainly within the context of the first century, women, women were in a much weaker position. I mean, we've, we've actually made some movement in our society toward the equality of women. Um, we at least put that into law, even though it's not true in every sector of, of society still today. We've, we've made a lot of gains there, but not completely. Um, and I think that's a lot of what Peter's saying here. Live, live with an awareness that they're in a weaker position and, and let that inform the way that you treat them. Yeah. And it seems like whenever you see a passage like this being used in that way that we've been talking about like abused to like enforce or coerce uh submission it's actually the result of men disobeying this very passage yeah it's actually the result of selective reading um and men failing to take up the responsibility that is laid on them in this passage because we tend to like see these household codes. Uh, we t tend to see like the second half of this as like an as giving privilege to the men, like leading, you should lead. 
and that and or you know even the men are like Christ. It, it's easy to see that there is kind of a privileging of men there until you see how Christ leads, right? Yeah, and you see that actually it's placing responsibility on the shoulders of men. And when men read a passage like this, the the last thing you're focusing on should be the submission bit. <laughs> right. The first thing you're focusing on should be the responsibility, the gentleness. Yeah, um, that's good. That's really good. And that's part of what I was trying to get at. I think I said late in the sermon, you know, what, what made Christianity so attractive to women in the first and second century was actually the instructions given to men. Mm-hmm. Right. That that would that would have been one of the big draws for women and even for slaves was, you know, the the onus of responsibility on on husbands and masters to to treat their wives as equals, to treat their slaves as brothers. You know, that that's a diminishing, that's a doing away with the, the inequality and the inferiority mindset that was so prevalent in the first century. Mm. I mean, that was that was radical. That was subversive, you know, and so. You know, that was another piece that I just couldn't get into the, the sermon is um, what what Peter, one of the things Peter's doing here, and we saw this, you know, a couple weeks ago uh, with Slaves and Masters, was he's he he's not coming out and doing away with, you know, fixed systems and structures in society, but he is subverting them. And he's going, if you live in this way, it'll be radically different from the world. And that's part of the biggie on the eye chart for Peter is that if husbands really begin to live this way with their wives, everybody that's not a Christian in the first century is going, why are you so nice to your wife? Like, why aren't you cheating on your wife? Why aren't you using your wife? I mean, it's, it's radically subversive, you know, if, and then vice versa, you know, women were forced to submit in the first century. Um, but for a woman to, one, not submit in the position of religion, to go, you know, Jesus is my Lord. Women were expected to take on the religion of their husbands. So that was radical for a woman to not do that. Uh, women weren't supposed to have friends outside of the husband's relationships. Now all of a sudden a woman belongs to a faith community of Christians and she's finding friendship and, and really a sense of family outside of the home. Radical. Mm-hmm. But then in every other way, Peter's going, you need to willfully submit to your husband so as to win him over to Christ. I think part of the heart there for Peter is no other woman is willfully, even joyfully submitting to their husband your demeanor should be different because Jesus is your Lord and your husband's going to notice that. Your husband's going to notice the active, intentional posturing of reverence toward him. And that's going to be really like attractive to him. And he's going to go, where's that coming from? And you're going to go, it's coming from Jesus. You know, so don't preach at him and, and don't berate him and submit to him in a way that is so different than every other wife and every other woman that it provokes him to wonder where it's coming from. And then you go, it's actually coming from the one area in my life where I'm not submitting to you, which is Jesus.
But I think that's the sort of idea that Peter's trying to get at. And I think that in principle, that that idea should still carry for us today. That our, our, our marriages really should look different than the world's. Like the way that we talk about our spouses, the way that we posture ourselves toward our spouses. That when there's glad submission and when there's like an honoring of your wife and a living with your wife in, in, in an understanding way, that ought to be noticeable mm-hmm. um, in our workplaces, in our in our neighborhoods, among friends. Um, they should be going, man, something's different here about the way that you guys love and treat each other. Yeah, and the, and the truth of it is, kind of like you said, like lots of men, it, other men wouldn't have seen it that way. They would have thought of like what why do you why are you listening to your wife are you some kind of right wimp like um it would have been seen as a very unmasculine thing gone against masculine codes to listen to your wife and we are and so men are really put in kind of a submissive position in that sense as well culturally like a humbling position right um and then i'm also i was also reminded as you're as you were saying that, um, just of earlier passages where, um, where slaves are identified with Christ Mm. and where they're told, um, they're told like you are suffering with Christ. Christ is suffering with you. And then in that, when we talked about civil authority, um, the, the reminder that God is a just judge and he sees you. Yep. And so, um, I think, you know, we, we divide up scripture more than it was divided up when they wrote it. You know, Peter didn't write in chapters. It was just all one long thought. Right. And you can see the pattern of his thought in here is like, you know, the women who are, who are hearing this in the first century would have also heard, you know, God is a just judge. He sees you. Yep. You know, he sees the position of vulnerability that you are in to injustice, injustice from your husband, slaves, injustice from their masters. And Christ, our King, is with you in that. And I think that same principle could be applied here to the women that we're talking about. There's a proximity among those who are in these weak and vulnerable positions to Jesus. And 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 in some sense, what Peter's doing is holding them up and going, hey, if you need an example of 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 christ-like suffering or you know christ entering into a position of vulnerability and weakness here it is like Mm. and in some sense he's saying man here's the here's the example for all of us like look at look at the christian slave like look at the christian wife watch her she's going to be able to uniquely show you how to live like jesus in these ways Uh, which uh, again like radical Nobody's holding up the slave or the or the wife as the exemplar par excellence of you know Christ-like uh, you know submission. And Peter's going, nope. Here's your example, and that's what the church does. You know, um, the church doesn't prioritize strength and and you know social class the way that the world does. It. it it subverts that and says, no, like, you know, the spiritually mature, you know, blue collar worker gets to, gets to teach the Sunday school class to the white collar 
well-respected, you know, person in society because they walk closer to Jesus. You know, th that only happens in the church. And, and that's sort of what Peter's doing. Powerful. If you want to find out more about City Life Church or have any questions about the kinds of things we talked about today, you can head over to citylifechurch.org and fill out a Digital Connect card. We'd love to reach out and stay in touch with you. Thanks for listening.